0: debating um,
1: It's an interesting experience, that's for sure. This I like it much better this year than last year, because last year was 102 degrees and 80% humidity, so this is much better.
0: This year, Vermont is a lovely place to be. Last year, yes. it was pretty miserable, and we were debating in the sunniest parts of the Coolidge Foundation's area this year. We're at least around trees, and it's shady. Yes.
1: Much better, and a much more convenient location, too. We're not trekking all the way to the other side of the large tent.
0: It's true, and I don't think I've ever uh, done a debate tournament surrounded by mountains I can see at all times. Usually we're in kind of cramped high school buildings, or, or maybe the odd college campus that lets us use a building they don't really care about, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's much more beautiful <laughs> to do debate in this setting, I think.
1: For sure, there's a there's a kind of natural beauty to it.
0: There is. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a special summer episode of What's the Res—an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. As you know, if you've been listening to our show, we're currently on our summer break, so we're not actually doing our normal resolution analysis episode uh, today. Instead, we're—I'm uh, uh, currently with my students up in Vermont. We're in uh, the Thriving one square mile metropolis with uh, no no cars nearby uh, in in Plymouth Notch Vermont uh, the birthplace of Calvin Coolidge we're recording this on the fourth of July uh, Coolidge's birthday and of course America's birthday so what better way uh, what better time and place to have a good conversation. So uh, I'm here with my students. We had uh, five students from thales Rollsville who qualified for the Coolidge Cup tournament this year. And uh, we're here watching the, uh, the final rounds today. Uh, my guest on this episode is Anna Claire. Anna Claire, I don't know your last name. What is your last name?
1: Splitstozer.
0: Oh, my. Yeah. Could you say that again slowly?
1: Splitstozer.
0: Whoa. What, what, what's the <laughs> origin of that name?
1: It comes from Germany. I believe it means woodcarver or woodcutter. So wow. I so I feel just at home with all of these forests around. Me. That's fantastic. My <laughs> guest
0: this episode is Anna Claire Splettstozer, mm-hmm. and uh, Anna Claire uh, just graduated high school and she's headed to Whitworth University in the fall. And uh, she is a very experienced debater. And on this episode, I wanted to uh, hopefully get her story and then uh, turn the corner to discuss uh, what's going on with gender bias in the wider debate world, particularly inside of public forum. But before we get there, Anna Claire, tell us how you got into debate, why you do this, and uh, what's, what's your story with debate?
1: Well, my dad jokes that the moment I began to talk, he knew that I was made for debate. But, um, I wasn't actually able to participate in competitive debate until moving to California from Minnesota when I was, uh, in 10th grade. So the summer after 10th grade, we, the summer after 9th grade, we moved to California and I started going to a school that offered a speech and debate program. But at the time it was actually just a debate program when. I began competing in debate, I immediately fell in love with it. I started in public forum and since then I've dabbled in parliamentary, Uh, I've done some research into big questions, and I uh, helped found our speech team in the following year. I really love speech and debate. I think the community is extremely unique in its ability to host conversations in tense in the middle of a Vermont summer, <laughs> uh, but also to bring people together from a lot of different walks of life that might not otherwise meet. Um, it Debate really, speech and debate are both events that I think provide very unique benefits. And every event, I believe firmly, is suited towards different purposes and was created with different ideas in mind and resolutions that you can debate and ways of debating and ways of looking at different issues. I think I just love the diversity of ideas that you get to approach in all different things. And I've fallen in love with it and haven't looked back since.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, uh, do tell us, I know you mentioned you were at NSDA Nationals. Last week, if I remember correctly, or no, no, no. So, have so is Coolidge <laughs> Cup the the national tournament that you go to, or are there other yes. national tournaments? What what kind of circuit do you compete in uh, throughout the year?
1: I actually I I compete very locally. So, the interesting story behind that is that I really wanted to d- be on the national circuit. And then kind of decided that it would actually be better for me to stay close to home, that I wanted to be with my team and particularly with our speech team as it continued to grow and develop, getting them plugged into the community that we have. So we compete with Chassa, uh, California high school speech. What is Chassa? We compete with Chassa. The California High School Speech Association. That's what it is. All right. Um, and we compete in a local league that's got probably a couple hundred kids in it and that all come together on three different weekends in a uh, rotation basis about five or six times a year. And it's really, really exciting, and we have a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that's great. We have a similar kind of league in North Carolina. They call it the Dogwood Speech and Debate League. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, its probably, got I, I don't know, uh, 60 or 70 schools and of various sizes, they do six tournaments a year within 90 miles of Raleigh. So it, it makes for easy single day travel, which is I find is pretty important for high school students. Oh, it's, definitely. it's really hard to do overnight trips and, and then we've got to involve logistics and there's a lot more parent contact and we need help and all that stuff. It's much easier to go for a single day.
1: I would say the biggest tournaments I've competed in were the Chassa State Championships. I went once in public forum with my partner and then another time in impromptu speaking. So I very much enjoyed both of those experiences.
0: (laughs) Impromptu is one of my favorite speech events in college. What other speech events uh, do you enjoy?
1: I especially love to hear original oratories. Um, I I think original oratory is such a unique and interesting event for students to truly share their ideas from a completely blank slate. But I also did oratorical interpretation where you deliver a a speech that someone else delivered at some point in history. Uh, And I had a lot of fun with that. I gave General Douglas MacArthur's uh, address to West Point Military Academy. I got to embody an old stodgy military man I had great fun doing that. I'm sure you did.
0: I, <laughs> I have very fond memories of the uh, Douglas MacArthur Museum in uh, my hometown, where I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm. And he's uh, he's from there originally, and he uh, there, there's a museum there dedicated to uh, to his career in the Navy. Uh, he's he's a fascinating, fascinating guy. So. Uh, you fell in love with debate. Now, that means you've really only been doing this for two years, if I'm counting, or is it three years?
1: About three, yes. Three years,
0: and and so really, which I find really interesting, because I've met some some people who got started with this in like sixth grade, and they go all the way through, other folks who get into this at various points in high school. So you've done this now for three years and found a lot of fun and success in it then.
1: Absolutely. Made so many friends, got a few trophies along the way.
0: Excellent. <laughs>
1: but the friends, I find, are more important.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Well, I, I, you, you got me intrigued yesterday as we were, we were talking, and uh, you you told me a story about uh, something that happened at NSDA Nationals in Dallas last week, and that 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 gave me the idea for this conversation. So, uh, could could you have kind of repeat that story about what happened with um, a female competitor at Nationals?
1: Yeah. And
0: what, what what was going on there?
1: So earlier in this tournament that we're at in Vermont, the Coolidge Cup, I was having a conversation with someone who mentioned that at NSDA nationals, there was a girl from an organization called beyond resolved, I believe. Uh, and I might be getting a couple details in this story fuzzy, but the gist of it was that while she was on stage, she held up a sign that showed the gender, uh, disparity in the number of finalists that were at NSDA nationals. I believe it said two, only two out of 28 are female. Um, because despite females making up a significant portion of the debate community, there are several kinds of pockets of events where there's a huge gender disparity, um, and it varies on circuit to circuit and um, tournament to tournament, but there is definitely a gender disparity that doesn't match up with the number of competitors that exist in the sport, so they were trying to call attention to that on the national stage.
0: Oh, and I, I became aware of this when uh, that picture began circulating on a couple different coaches networks that I'm part of. And it sparked a conversation amongst coaches on Facebook about mm. what exactly is going on, particularly in public forum. Yeah. Uh, and there's a there's a coach. Uh, his name is Rich Kowalix, He's at the Laurel School. He, uh, he he's conducted a study that I'm looking forward to reading, but I've seen the abstract of his study that's looking at the breaking down the results of I believe SDA nationals over a few over a period a period of years of looking at uh, the fact that it's much more likely for a male male team of public forum debaters to both break at nationals and then to make it all the way through double octofinals to quarterfinals to semifinals and ultimately that final round much less likely just on the numbers and mm-hmm. and you told me yesterday there's there's he's not the first one apparently to do this uh, to to do this kind of a study right and it raises a very interesting question because i mean of course as as debaters uh, we're all about advocacy and speaking up for those who maybe are not as represented and representing that side. What, what do you see at stake in this whole question of this gender disparity? What, what, what do you see as being significant there?
1: I think conversations about gender discrimination can quickly fall by the wayside when we try to blame just one thing or one group of people. So what I see at stake with something like a sign that says 2 out of 28 is I see a very good and worthy cause that I worry our community might take away the wrong message from. I've, uh, I was just scrolling on the debate Reddit earlier <laughs> today and came across a thread that was talking about gender in debate. And someone commented something along the lines of, well, there isn't one big bad man that's telling women that they can't be in debate. So what's the real issue here? It's a free country. And I think what we risk is losing the nuance that truly comes from having, sitting down and having productive conversations about how we can eliminate gender bias. If there is a gender bias, if there is a gender bias, whose fault is it? Is it no one's fault? And just becoming more th- I, I, sorry. I worry That we would become less thoughtful as a result of the high emotions that run around a topic like this rather than more empathetic Mm. because i believe that we can have empathy and understanding for uh, female competitors who are disadvantaged in some ways but i think we can also take it on a case-by-case basis and really sit down and listen to people's stories and hear what they have to say about what they've experienced while still taking into account all of those lovely studies that give us actual numbers and data to work with.
0: Which are helpful I because mean, that certainly Absolutely. lets us be able to kind of uh, quantify if and to really kind of, I mean, it does seem clear that I think you, you laid it out as a math problem yesterday. I mean, in the sense that if there's one third, if one third of participants are female, Well, then it does. And and if everything is equal in terms of skill level and coaching and uh, and research and all these other variables, if all those variables are equal, then we should expect to see the same proportion in that number of people who break to finals. And then, of course, following the tournament logic, that's going to get winnowed ever further with every out round. But we should expect to see a general proportion be represented there. Mm -hmm. Now, I am curious, uh, as a female debater, have have you experienced either implicit or explicit gender bias in your your debate career in high school?
1: I'm sure it's happened before. (laughs) I definitely remember getting a ballot back from a judge once in speech, who said that he thought that my uh, portrayal of an old white military man was not quote-unquote, fitting to my character. And I have yet to ever hear of someone make a complaint to uh, any other competitor about that in speech. So that might not necessarily be a gender thing, but it did revolve around gender. And I remember walking away from that thinking that that was very odd because the entire point of uh, acting, and particularly with delivering an oratorical interpretation, is to completely embody someone who is very different from you. And you kind of judge people based off of how well they can do that, when it comes to giving a speech. So that was a little bit of a frustrating comment related to gender and, de- uh, and debate and speech that frustrated me. I've also had, hmm. I don't know if I want to tell this story. Okay, I'll think of a way to tell it. Okay. I've had You certain... don't have
0: to tell the story if no, you no, don't no, want no, to, okay. that's fine. We I, can edit all that intro stuff no, out if you good, want to. you're good, you're good. All right.
1: Um, I, once, I also once had an adult in my life tell me that they thought that when I was paired with male partners, I wasn't very cooperative. That was a very interesting comment to receive because I wondered what that meant in the sense that perhaps it was... Uh, the, the hard thing about that is that I think it's really hard to break down exactly where that could be gender bias and where that could truly be the fault of mine. What I found interesting about that was that they were, they were not saying that I was an uncooperative partner. They specifically came out and said that I didn't cooperate well with my male competitors that I competed, uh, alongside in public forum. I found that to be a very interesting comment as well. So with instances like that, where I always kind of come back to is I wonder where along the line we can do something and where along the line we just need to be understanding of situations that are somewhat inevitable in the status quo and are just always kind of going to exist to some extent. I think that there are certain things that we can change, such as possibly not giving gendered comments such as that to people where it doesn't really seem to be necessary. I think that there's, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with me portraying a male character. As long as I am not saying that I am male or claiming that I can have all those experiences, to me there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. Additionally, I would rather someone address my uncooperative behavior rather than try to make it a gendered distinction about um, me not interacting well with male counterparts. I also think that crossfire certainly contributes in public forum.
0: Oh, please say more about this. I (laughs) want to hear more about this.
1: Crossfire in public forum most definitely contributes to a kind of, at the very least, gender... Uh, clash, and just for see.
0: just for any of our listeners who maybe are not uh, well versed yet in public forum, that's a the way public forum d- in many other debate formats they use cross examination where one debater will ask specific questions to the opponent, and those questions must then be answered, and it's just q and A Q&A exchange. Crossfire is much more fluid, and it it it's in part intended to eventually have. Four people all asking questions and answering each other at once, and it mm-hmm. there's this odd. I think it's odd at least. There's this odd bit where, people, some people, some a bit of aggression looks good in crossfire, but it's it's also when you're dealing with novice rounds, it's also easy to look like a bully. So Absolutely. there's and so the, it's just a very different dynamic. So with that explanation, what what are your thoughts on CrossX versus crossfire?
1: What. I have taken away from cross-examination is that i understand that my emotions can get away from me when i do something like cross uh crossfires especially the grand crossfire there are two crossfires in public forum where it's just you and one other person and that's a little bit easier to manage because you kind of trade off taking questions one after the other but then you get to the grand crossfire where all four speakers are able to talk at once and they often do. They often all talk over each other. And what it usually devolves into is a kind of contest to see who can talk the loudest and the longest and get their point in. And it turns into not a Q&A, but it's more of a, I can make this point right now. I have had many interesting experiences in crossfires. Um, but one of the things that I remember reading in a study was that, in the Chassa booklet that they hand out, the brochure of all the events that happened at the state tournament in uh, the 2018 2019 year, on the first page they listed a study that was conducted, I think, by two young economists, if I remember, that had just graduated from NSDA. And they looked through a bunch of ballots, they digitally processed them and evaluated the content and the criticism that was in each of them. And what they found was that girls and or I should say, young women competing in debate, were evaluated and criticized for being emotional ten times more often than their male counterparts. So part of me wonders if that definitely comes back to Crossfire, because in my personal anecdotal experience, I think I've seen that take place, where when I face, I've certainly, pardon me, I've seen that emotional kind of criticism come out in some of my own ballots, but I've also seen it come out against, uh, this general prioritization of an aggression over a quieter criticism of an argument. And I think that, uh, Grand Crossfire in particular is just where we kind of see everyone's faults come out <laughs> in that sense. And everyone begins shouting and yelling and arguing with one another, um, to the point where, Judges sometimes have to go, all right, let's take a minute and then come back to this.
0: I find that very interesting because and, and that that's fascinating. I would not really thought about the way that Grand Cross kind of heightens really everyone's emotions in a way. And that mm-hmm. might then, that, that, that then can be read by judges in various different directions. I think it's interesting in part because the coaches' conversation on the Facebook thread I'm thinking of mostly revolved around somehow... Uh, changing the training that's given to judges, and there was one person who suggested that uh, there there needs to be a cultural competency element that's included in every judge training. Mm-hmm. And what you're suggesting is a different element. I don't. Nobody in the thread I'm thinking of head, I think 20 different coaches from all around the country, with several dozen others reading the thread as well. Uh, they were not. Nobody suggested that, really, maybe we need to think about changing the way Grand Crossfire is structured. Mm. And maybe that's the structural element that that could be changed, which strikes me as much more feasible of a change than somehow... uh, I mean, because the the way judges' training is handled, it varies from tournament to tournament, from region to region. And attempting to kind of apply a national solution on that kind of a... such a decentralized game, I don't know that that would be very effective.
1: Yeah. I think what you just said leads me to an interesting thought about the nature of how we deal with all different kinds of discrimination. Because we can, there is obviously no need for a law or a rule of some sort in the NSDA handbook that says you can't discriminate based on gender. What it really comes down to is differences in uh, gender, I think, have a lot of implications for how we interact with each other. And to some extent, that's something that I know in my own personal experience, I want to prioritize more with the young girls and uh, I shouldn't say young girls, pardon me. I know in my experience, that's something that I want the young women that I coach and help someday when I hopefully become a speech and debate coach. That's something that I want to instill in them is that kind of confidence that they can push back and match Mm -hmm. the level of their competitors, but that also there is value in maintaining a sort of non-aggression towards your opponent and simply a logical rebuttal to arguments i think that gender in and of itself is a very complicated mesh of the nature and the actual chemical imbalances that exist between different brains and how that isn't by any means a detriment that can be a help and can contribute to different perspectives but also the nurture and the way that uh boys and girls are raised and the than also the media that we all receive and how the different kinds of messages and people that we interact with on a daily basis are going to form and shape the way that we think gender norms should be. And I think what happens is that sometimes our community has a tendency to want to solve the problem nationwide without taking into consideration for what they can do on their own teams to provide an encouragement and uh, even short-term solutions in their own practice rounds to how can we help solve this problem instead of only thinking nationally.
0: Mm. That's, that's fascinating. I, I, I like that idea of almost the uh, uh, sort of a different application of the uh, think locally co- mm-hmm. concept that maybe it's less about how do we change a national issue that definitely seems to be statistically reasonable. I mean, it's reasonable at least to say that's a stati- statistically realistic uh, thing that's happening but how do we adjust really much more on the local team level? How do we, and really, how do we structure team interactions such that um, young men and young women in competition can really play to their strengths and and recognize and kind of grow in these other areas? As I know, I've had a couple rounds where I, and I don't know if this is, this may be a failing in my part in some way as a judge, but I remember a couple of rounds where there were novice rounds and novice rounds are always interesting and, and different ways. But in this case it was two young men who had just this was a novice round in September. They had just come back from a debate camp in August and they had learned a lot of new speed and aggression techniques. Mm. And they were going up against two young women who clearly had not gone to that debate camp and had not picked up these speed and aggression techniques and I at least found it kind of brought out my sort of protective instinct in a way to think, Mm. like, whoa, you guys are going, y'all are going really rough on your opposition. Uh, I mean, just, and I don't think it should harm these young ladies that they're not kind of clearly just coming out the gate almost angry in the way that they framed their debate. But that's the level of aggression that their male counterparts were were addressed were kind of setting. I talked with her coach afterwards, and the uh, coach was female, and uh, she she just said she she recognized, oh yeah, we've we've been working on toning down their aggression, and it wasn't she uh, she was actually kind of frustrated that they had gone to this camp and picked up some of these other tactics that she did she was not a fan of mm-hmm. on their team, and uh, she was trying to kind of help tame some of that. So. Maybe those sorts of interactions, and really each coach kind of working, how do we make debate a welcoming environment for everyone, and how do we kind of recognize, okay, I may have these tactics, but my opponent clearly does not have the same level of instruction in these tactics, so what do I bring to this particular conflict? While also knowing it's a competition we want to win, but how do we play the game in such a way that we do it in uh, in a respectful and dignified way across in the competition?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, most certainly. I think that that exact scenario that you just described of uh, two male competitors who have maybe gone to a more national circuit type camp where they're learning more aggressive questioning methods and how to even just engaging with the general culture that is inherently more, I think, aggressive on the national circuit as a result of just competing more. seeing that kind of aggression come out in a round against competitors who are just unfamiliar with it which generally, just because of the statistical differences, are more likely to be women. I think that I've, yeah, I've seen that exact scenario come oh. out several times. And it, it
0: doesn't, on, on, the, on the coach side, when I have uh, competitors, male or female, who encountered that level of, of aggression in round, it's particularly for novices. For my varsity folks, I tell them basically, toughen up. You can handle this. You mm-hmm. know what to do. For my folks who are brand new at this, oh my goodness, it's so demoralizing for them to hit that response and then have no idea what to do. And, and so, but it, I mean, it becomes, it's just becomes a different conversation, but I think that too is, that too is part of it. Now, well, let me ask you one last question, uh, kind of on this topic and we probably should shift gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I think I know your answer to this question, but I do want to ask you, um, is debate that, um, that, that young women can in fact study and should play? And if so, Why?
1: Sorry, could you ask the question? Yep, I can time? repeat that
0: question. Uh, is debate a game that young women can, in fact, study and, and should play? And uh, if so, why?
1: Absolutely. I think that wh- young women are just as capable and competent as the young men that they grow up alongside to engage in debate and speech. I think that the reason why they're completely competent and capable is because, at the end of the day, logic has no gender. When we talk about economics and when we talk about um, actually sorting through logical fallacies and uh, making syllogisms and building arguments and contentions, those have no gender. And because they have no gender, both uh, the male and the female brain are perfectly competent and capable of interacting with that. What becomes tricky is then how can we more helpfully engage those differences in the male and female brain around interacting around those things and value some of those differences that they bring towards an approach. I think taking things on an individual case-by-case basis, by interacting with, by having coaches be familiar with their teams, by having team captains be supportive of kind of their underdog members whether they be male or female and just don't have those aggressive techniques, by coming alongside all of the individuals and taking things on a case by case basis, we can help form our teams into who we want them to be and make sure that both male and female competitors have an equal ability to at least get to the stage someday. And hopefully someday that statistic of two out of 28 will be even 14 out of 28.
0: That would be, that'd, be, that'd be very exciting. Well uh, Anna Claire, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Uh, do tell us a little about your high school because I, I you said it was called the Cambridge School and I yes. my understanding is that it's a bit of a unique place. So tell us a little about your high school and, and how I'll just leave it at that. Tell us a bit about your high school.
1: So I know I mentioned that I've only been at my high school for three years, but the people that I have grown up alongside there in these past three years are truly my family at this point whether that be my teachers almost acting as kind of an extended family member or my classmates being like second siblings to me. Um, Our school is a really special place. Uh, It's a classical Christian school where... I'll I'll wait a minute for that to go by. (laughs)
0: Our poor sound engineer, Noah, is just groaning <laughs> inside at the, the truck that just rolled by. As I mentioned, we are recording recordings. this outside in a tent, so this is not going to be our normal audio, audio sound. Anyway, back to the Cambridge School. You said it was a classical Christian school.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cambridge School is a classical Christian K-12 school um, that I've been at now for three years. I went to a classical high school uh, when I was in Minnesota but the rhetoric program and the abilities to deal with the third stage of classical education were kind of lacking. So classical education, we actually have a strong emphasis on the grammar of subjects and learning the technical know-how of those in the first stage, then following through, then following through with the logic stage where we teach uh, everyone how to interact with syllogisms, how to create creas, how to write arguments, and then finally closing in the rhetoric stage where we kind of teach our students both how to understand the more nuanced aspects of the world that they're interacting with when it comes to both their faith and their subjects that they're studying, and also how to go out and speak into that in an articulate manner. So part of our school is that uh, all of our students are required to take a speech and debate class in seventh and eighth grade, and then to compete on our varsity speech and debate team when they're in ninth grade. Whoa. So our, our public forum team is very large.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How many total students at your school? Roughly, ballpark That's for us. a good question.
1: Our younger grades are massive and our older grades are a lot smaller. Uh, but, so our school is very much growing. I want to say we have anywhere between a hundred and fifty and two hundred students now. Okay. But our high school is very small. At the moment it's about eighty or ninety students. Okay. Okay.
0: That that makes more sense now that I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, do do you find, have you found that really that classical education did it prepare you well for going out and competing against students in kind of a, I mean, I, I su- I'm sure you, in your league, you compete against public school students, other private school students. I, I assume, I certainly here, you have compete against the odd homeschool student or three <laughs> who seem to pop out of nowhere and do very, very well in competition. Yes. Uh, but ha- has your classical education prepared you well for competition?
1: Absolutely. The ability not only to compete well, but also to empathetically engage with your competitors and to interact with a whole host of ideas outside of the debate round, I think has been taught to me and instilled in me by all of my teachers and by the very nature of our education.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, do tell us where you're off to next now that you're done with high school.
1: I will be headed to Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. I'm very excited to go and be a part of their speech and debate team there and to engage with a whole bunch of new ideas uh, in a completely new environment with new people. I think that the people that we debate alongside and speak alongside and learn alongside are at the end of the day what really matters and it's what we can come back to and engage with years later. we've forgotten all about the things that we debated about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So true. Uh, So very, very true. I'm not sure we will care that much about unilateral free trade as a unique term 50 years from now, but hopefully the friendships we've formed over this tournament will endure. Anna Claire, thank you so much for coming on What's the Res. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to a special summer episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. We're on our summer, uh, summer series of episodes, so we're not quite focusing on resolution analysis but instead uh, we've been learning from Anna Claire about uh, the the complex world of uh, gender bias and concerns in competitive debate in particular in public forum. Uh, we wish Anna Claire the best of luck as she begins a, a new chapter at Whitworth University and I uh, hope that uh, maybe in a couple years we'll have her back on and uh, find out what was happening what happens in high or in college speech and debate. If you like what you've heard on this episode, then please do head over to uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. If you want to get in touch with us here at What's the Res, you can do that by emailing us at res at gmail.com, or you can follow us on social media. We're on Reddit, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag at Res underscore. If you uh, have any interest in... Um, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, what was the last one? Oh yeah, if you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us on our Facebook page. Literally, it's called, What's the Res." I should also mention, uh, if you are interested in listening to actual recorded debates between real people, you can do that by uh, through accessing our premium content. We have a series of episodes that are focusing on two people, one affirmative, one negative, on a current contemporary resolution. We've got adults debating adults. We've got high school students debating high school students. You can find those on our Podbean account. You do need to use Podbean to access those. You can access those for $3 a month or for a year-long pass at $30. So uh, we, we hope to encourage your love of debate, and I hope that uh, you're uh, listening to this episode. You uh, have a better appreciation for how speech and debate can be a healthy exercise for young men and for young women. Until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek truth.